Thank you for downloading or watching our sermon series titled Redeemed in Christ. We are going through the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism is written in 1563 using a question-and-answer format. The Catechism's goal is to instruct the Lord's people to understand the Reformed faith by answering common questions from the Scripture. Please join us as we walk through this historic document and ponder the Lord's grace and mercy as we are reminded that we are redeemed in Christ. The Catechism summarizes or finishes its summary or teaching of the law of God, and it makes very clear that the law of God cuts straight to the heart. It certainly convicts us, it it guides us, it's our guide for grateful living. And so we see that the law of God does multiple things. And this really leads us to a logical issue. If, if we're those who are redeemed in Christ and, and made alive, and we're never going to arrive at perfection, why would we continue to hear the law of God preached to us? Why would we hear exhortation? Uh, we would think that if it's just going to make us feel bad, there's really no point in it. And so when we really think about the issue of who we are in Christ and, and the promises of the gospel in God's perfection, the law of God is just telling us that we're not perfect. It would just seem to be rather depressing, and so maybe we shouldn't talk about it. And that's what the catechism is addressing, this notion that we just ignore the law of God. And so why do we preach the law of God and see this as significant? We see first that we are those, as we divide this, that we are those who have not arrived. We are those who strain forward. And we are those who are mature and not perfect. And so what do we learn then in terms of the law of God? Well, question 113 addresses the issue of the challenge we have as Christians. Uh, We can grow in grace in such a way that that maybe uh, we think that we no longer have any, any more growing to do. And so we think we've overcome certain things, therefore we're living a really good life and and we're okay. Uh, Another issue we can have is we can say, well, it really doesn't matter because we're redeemed in Christ anyway, so we can just ignore the whole law of God because it really doesn't do anything. And so we can understand these these views that, that we can be tempted to take. The reality is, when we look at, say, Psalm 139, what's the prayer that's prayed there? Lord, search my heart. So what are we asking? We're asking the Lord to actually convict us, show us where we're wrong, uh, to conform to our heavenly calling, uh, which implies, as we look at Scripture, that this is a continual process that we undergo. When we look at the Apostle Paul in, in terms of what question answer 113 is telling us. The Apostle Paul's reminding us that this Christian life is a continual marathon. We're continually pressing forward. And so this is important because when we consider our evaluation and definition of the law of God, we can be tempted to say, well, I'm not Hitler. I mean, I'm not as bad as Hitler, so I'm, I'm not doing so bad. Or we can set up our own standard of the law of God and, and we can find that we nail it every time because it's my standard, I'm doing well, uh, therefore I'm, I'm meeting what God desires for me to meet. But when the Apostle Paul exhorts us, this is not what the Apostle Paul says. 
The Apostle Paul reminds us that there's a continual process. Remember where we started? We started Ephesians 5 verse 10, our study of the law of God, uh, where the Apostle Paul exhorts us to try to discern what is pleasing unto the Lord. Uh, This is a continual uh, way in which we press forward. The Apostle Paul in the Catechism reminds us that we're those who are truly to hate sin. And so when we deal with this issue of coveting that the Catechism is dealing with, it really makes sense as to how the law of God is organized, doesn't it? First commandment begins with idolatry, having other gods in the place of God. The last commandment deals with our desires and how we desire to be God. In other words, desiring what is right or wrong or determining what is right or wrong for ourselves by our own standard. And so that's what the catechism is driving home, that we need to be aware and conscious of who we are as human beings, always desiring to set our own standard in the place of the true standard. And so what does the Apostle Paul remind us uh, regarding this status? When we look at Philippians 3 verse 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we haven't arrived. And so when we look at this, we say, okay, so we haven't obtained, uh, we haven't uh, overcome this life, we're still moving forward. And so when we hear this, we say, okay, so we're, we're pressing forward. Well, the Apostle Paul in this section is using a marathon analogy. And, and so when we hear this, we might say, oh, well, the Apostle Paul is telling us then to be very deliberate in our works. Uh, after all, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians uh, 2 verse 12 that we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So in terms of this, it it seems that, that we need to work really hard uh, to please God. So, so we read this and we say, well, what is the Apostle Paul teaching us? Is this some sort of a, a works righteousness? Are we just pressing forward and just pressing forward and, and understanding that we are those who, who need to attain this in our own strength? And that seems to contradict the spirit of the catechism, seems to contradict the spirit of the Reformation and, and what the Catechism is teaching us about doing this out of gratitude. And so it makes it sound like sanctification really is just a process of trying harder. The harder we try, the more successful we'll probably be. But that becomes a problem, doesn't it? Because Christ says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he's come to relieve the burden. So if this is what the Apostle Paul means, this, this doesn't sound like there's much of a relief, much of a joy. It just seems that there's, there's more assignments, more work, and more tasks that are set out for us. And so when we hear this, say, well, I, I don't think the Apostle Paul means that. But the other thing we can do when we look at this, getting at the two ways that we understand the law and looking at Paul's reading here, when the Apostle Paul says, I have not attained, I am not perfect. And so we say, okay, well, Obviously, this, this is a problem because we're never going to reach perfection in this life. So maybe we're misreading this and the Apostle Paul is telling us we don't really need to worry about anything in the Christian life because we're not going to attain it anyway. Well, that can lead us to a rather antinomian, being against the law sort of view and saying really the law of God has, has no purpose, no instruction, and no value at all. And, and so we don't want to go to that extreme either. So what is the Apostle Paul intending for us? And this is 
what I want to lay out. When, when we take a verse and we just start at this verse and we rip it out of the context, we can make it mean a lot of things that the verse probably doesn't intend to mean. What is the Apostle Paul laid out? Well, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that it seems you have the circumcision party that's come into the church. He identifies them as the dogs, the ones who mutilate the flesh, the ones who talk about circumcision once again. And so the Apostle Paul recounts his credentials. So notice in verse 4, he speaks of how he has reason to boast. Why does he have confidence in the flesh? Well, in terms of his Jewish credentials, uh, there isn't anyone that can really surpass him. He's, he's overcome. He's, he's got zeal. He's got credibility in terms of knowing, uh, of knowing his tribal lineage. Uh, he's one who has followed the law of God to perfection. Uh, he was a Pharisee. And so you, you hear these credentials, and the Apostle Paul is one you would think, this is a very righteous guy. This is a guy who, who's arrived at perfection. He himself says, blameless according to the law of God. And so when you hear that, you say, well, what, what does the Apostle Paul mean here? As it sounds as if Paul does not need redemption. But he states explicitly that he counted all his loss for Christ in verse 7. So in other words, the Apostle Paul says, I have these credentials, but these credentials are not what give me credentials before the Lord. They give me credentials before man. They make me look prestigious, but they're not really something that I should desire or cling to as my source of hope. And so the Apostle Paul, as, as he reminds us of this, is telling us that he can't rest in these credentials. He counts it all as loss for the sake of Christ. And so what is the resolution? Well, the Apostle Paul, when we go back to our verses in 12 through 16, he presses on. And he presses on in Christ Jesus. So notice he's not doing this by his own strength. He's not boasting of his flesh. He's not saying, look at the good works I've done. Paul's already recounted that. Good works didn't make him right before God, didn't earn him any favor in the presence of God. But he presses on why? Because Christ Jesus has made him his own. Right here is a key to understanding this section. It is Christ Jesus who has taken hold of the Apostle Paul. So now when you go back and you read these credentials, Paul is saying, listen, prior to my conversion, I, I thought I was doing great. I, I thought I was in the graces of God. I thought I was honoring the Lord. And then I got converted and recognized I need Christ. And it's Christ Jesus that took hold of me, and apart from Christ, I have nothing. And so the Apostle Paul is laying out here the reality of what he knows, that apart from Christ, he has nothing. And so this is indeed why the Apostle Paul counts everything as a loss. Verse 8, that he's laying this out and knowing that as he knows Christ is his Lord, counting everything as a loss is, is what he has to do. Because knowing Christ is where his Christian walk starts and being identified in Christ. So in verse 12, he's repeating the same concept. He's repeating himself for a purpose because we forget this. And so this is laying out the reality of what the Catechism is teaching us regarding coveting in, in 113 as the introduction. 
our desires, naturally contrary to God. Our inclination, try and do things in our own strength, by our own flesh, try and figure out how to, how to make ourselves righteous before man so we look good, rather than recognizing we need to start with who we are in Christ. Christ is the one who takes hold of us. By the grace of Christ, we have new desires. We're called to walk in these desires. So our coveting is desiring things contrary to God. As we're growing in Christ by the grace of God, we're growing in the power of his spirit. So notice then as we move on to straining forward, using Paul's language here in Philippians 3, but looking at question answer 114. Now this is one of the question answers that Godfrey has always called to our attention in church history. Many times he'd start the class <clears throat> contemplating 114 and its implications. Because 114 really does a good job of summarizing the implications of the law. So 113 sort of the introduction. We're prone to self-righteousness. We're prone to sort of self-justify and, and do what we can to make ourselves look good. And it's sort of laying out that we have desires contrary to God as fallen creatures needing redemption. But 114 really humbles us because it drives home the reality that even the holiest, so we, we think about individuals in our lives that may have been role models going before us in terms of the Christian walk. We think so-and-so really has evidence and fruits of walking with Christ. And, and we look at their life and, and we look at the providence of God and how they have walked consistently with the Lord. You know, we think of the examples of Hebrews 11, for instance, as well as other ones who may have gone before us, whether parents, grandparents, whatever they may be. And it says that even those holiest people, the people that we esteem, the Catechism says, have only small beginnings. This is pretty humbling. Because we might look at them and say, look at their lives. It, it seems that they're all put together, focus on Christ, everything's wonderful. But it says small beginnings. And this is rather humbling. That we have to recognize that as we go through our lives, we have small beginnings in this in this Christian walk, no matter how much we mature, no matter how many years the Lord may give us under the sun, no matter how many years the Lord gives us in terms of our Christian walk, small beginnings. But now we might get discouraged. And this is the flip side where Godfrey uh, reminded us, and I think it's an important reminder, <clears throat> that it's small beginnings, but with earnest purpose we make progress not according to one commandment, because what, what are we tempted to do? Well, this commandment seemed to have more struggle on, so I'm going to focus on this commandment and sort of ignore the other nine, maybe. Well, the catechism drives home that it's, it's all the commandments. We, we begin to uh, make progress in this. Even as there's small beginnings, we, we are beginning to conform to the, the standard of God. Now, in terms of this earnest purpose, we still have to take this in the context of the catechism. Right? Prior to the law of God, what does it say? What is a good work? Well, question answer 91. Those that proceed from faith, done according to the law of God, and not done according to the, the will or traditions of man. In other words, it's an understanding that as the spirits at work within us, that we want to continue to focus uh, our orientation on our Lord and our Redeemer. And so when we go back to this uh, 
Paul exhorting the Philippian church in chapter 3. He wants us to understand who we are. And so he's using this language of a marathon. So we go back and we explore this. In terms of a marathon, and somebody wants to do well, and you think about uh, the athletes in the time of Paul's day, preparing for the games, for the Olympic games, that they would understand what pace they need to set, right? So if they want to get a podium, they, they know that they have to run at a certain pace. Uh, they've probably studied those who have gone before them, looked at their time, figured out the overall time of the marathon, and know how fast they have to run. Now, it's important to understand this backdrop. Because as one's running, there might be someone who burns themselves up and, and runs faster. So you can look to the side and say, oh my goodness, this person's doing better than me. This person's running faster. I better pick up my pace. But you're actually knocking yourself off the time. You may pass someone else. Think I'm doing great. Uh, I'm, I'm really going about this really fast and you slow down. So now when you understand the backdrop to what the audience would think about this analogy and this metaphor, you think about what the Apostle Paul tells us. That he is one that as he goes forward, he forgets what lies behind. So when you think about the stage race that the Apostle Paul is calling to our mind, or this, uh, this marathon, he wants to understand, okay, maybe you had a bad section. Maybe you had a a bad time in a Christian walk. You forget about what lies behind. You press forward. This is what the Apostle Paul has done as we set the context. He forgets about his Jewish credentials. That's behind him. That's not his assurance. So he forgets what lies behind. Have a bad day in a Christian life? You don't allow that day to define who you are. You keep pushing forward, keeping your eye upon the goal. And so it's just like the runner. Have a bad stage. Uh, maybe you didn't make the time you, you wanted. Well, you figure it out and you continue to go forward. You don't drop out of the race and quit. But as you have this forward focus, and as he goes forward, um, there's also the temptation to be distracted by those who come around you. And, and you can be distracted by those looking to the side and, and being distracted, as we mentioned. So someone's faster, you want to pick up the pace, you come off your pace. Someone's slower, you think you're doing well. So what's the analogy there? Well, the analogy there is we can look at someone who seems to be ahead of us in the Christian life by our perception, and we can think, oh man, I'm never going to make it. Or we can look at someone that's backsliding and say, oh, look how good I'm doing. Uh, I don't need to be oriented in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, this is the reality of who we are as Christians. And the problem when we start identifying and defining our Christian walk by those around us, we need to keep focused on the goal. And so when you think about that marathon runner, what are they focused on? The goal. They want to arrive at the line, at the finish line. That's where they set their focus. That's where they set their orientation. And so that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand. We press forward and we continue to walk in terms of who we are in Christ. Now notice then, as we go through 114, we wrap this up with question answer 115. And the Apostle Paul exhorts us as to how we think. We think as mature people, not as perfect people. And so when we hear that, it may sound like a cop-out, doesn't it? 
You know, you say, well, I'm redeemed in Christ. I'm set apart in the Lord. I, I should be thinking as a perfect person. But the Apostle Paul is saying, we, we don't think as perfect people. We think as mature people. Because you see, if we are those who really understand who we are, and as we consider who we are, well, we, we might be tempted to be discouraged. But the Catechism tells us we want these Ten Commandments continually preached to us. So, so we don't want to take the law of God and say, well, that's kind of negative. That's something that kind of makes me feel bad and doesn't make me feel great about myself. Therefore, I don't want to hear these things. The Catechism is saying, actually, we, we want to keep hearing this. And yes, at times it may discourage us when we recognize that we need to grow or maybe we haven't grown as much as we ought, but there's a purpose behind it, that we have to know who we are. We know that we are in Christ. We know that Christ is our Redeemer. We have to start with this promise. So when we're hearing the law of God, we, we shouldn't just be hearing it and thinking, oh, there's no hope, there's just nothing there's no motivation for me to go forward. We hear this recognizing we are redeemed in Christ. And secondly, we continue to do this and live out of gratitude for the Lord, striving, praying for the grace of God. We desire and want the Lord to continually renew us according to his image, right? We desire to, to see our life in light of the end goal that we have in Christ Jesus. And so when we hear this, we understand who we are, a people set apart in Christ. So this takes us back to Philippians 3, verse 12, in terms of our desires. How do we orient ourselves? Well, it is Christ who has made me his own. That's what we got to understand. It is Christ who has made me his own. And so as the Apostle Paul exhorts us to have that laser focus looking ahead, are we just looking to an earthly prize, right? This is where the whole marathon analogy breaks down that, that the Apostle Paul has used. It's, it's breaking down because there's a different prize. And it's the upward call we have in Christ Jesus. And so this is a reminder that as we're called by Christ, secured in Christ, made alive in Christ, joined to Christ, we still press forward. Because what's the, what's the ultimate goal well, the ultimate goal is our heavenly rest, right? This is where the Apostle Paul, as he recounts his conversion, we've talked about this before in the law of God, but it's important where the Lord says, why do you kick against the goats? In other words, why are you continually bucking against me and, and going against my will? Why are you doing that? James exhorting us to give in to the implanted word, to desire this word, to truly uh, continue to work and, and permeate us. Now, it's not to say that we're going to annul God or that we're able to set aside his plan or we're more sovereign than God, but it's a reminder of the exhortation. You know, as Hebrews warns us of the discipline, do we want the Lord to use a bat or do we want a gentle encouragement and exhortation? And so this is that reminder that, that we want to continually press forward with a consciousness that our goal, our heavenly goal is to dwell with Christ. When we taste now in the power of the Spirit, we should be oriented in desire to taste in its fullness. And so this is really getting at the fundamental change in desires. Coveting is desiring something contrary to the will of God, not finding contentment in his providence. 
This is that reminder that we press forward uh, desiring to have the desires of Christ and to have his, his word and, and his spirit permeate our being more and more. That's what the Apostle Paul is reminding us, that we're working in the power of Christ. It is Christ who has taken hold of us. Now, when the Apostle Paul says this, I like how, how he reminds us that those of us who are mature think this way. Think about that statement, mature. It's not perfect. It's not complete. This is, again, that, that metaphor of the race. And it's a metaphor of that runner. Somebody can pass you. You can pass someone else. And you can start looking at those next to you rather than to the goal. That's what Paul wants us to think about. What is our goal? What is our orientation in Christ? How, how do we keep our focus on that orientation? Because again, when we perceive people are ahead of us in a Christian walk, maybe they're not. We perceive people are behind us in a Christian walk, maybe they're not. This is our perception. This is our redefinition of things. We truly do not know where they are in their Christian life. Our focus is to know where we are in the Christian life. And so the Apostle Paul is saying this is what the Christian maturity looks like. So think about this. The Apostle Paul, going back to his credentials, has every right to boast of his maturity in the flesh. He's a Jew. He's a Pharisee. He's blameless according to the law of God. Think about that statement, blameless according to the law of God. And yet he still needs conversion. Apart from Christ, he has nothing. Despite those credentials, he has nothing. So the Apostle Paul, in terms of being maturity, is saying that, that did nothing for me in terms of my standing with, with, with the Lord. The only way I truly have life it's taking hold of Christ by faith. And why do I take hold of Christ by faith? Because he first took hold of me. Why do I press forward? Because the Lord has his hold on me. And so the Apostle Paul does not see this understanding of the Lord grabbing us and taking hold of us as being a contradiction or a tension. And actually gives us greater motivation to press forward. Because we know that our Lord continues to hold his hand upon us and guide us and lead us. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, we want the Lord to continue to bring us to this goal. This is what Christian maturity looks like. I am struggling. I am imperfect. I need sanctification. I need to arrive at the goal. I am not there. And it is the Lord who will bring me there. And I want to arrive there. And my focus and orientation is to that place. Now notice how the Apostle Paul continues to assure us. And not only does he forget what lies behind him, not only does he press forward in this maturity, but he says, God will reveal this to you also. And so when we hear that, we say, well, what does the Apostle Paul mean? Does this mean that, that God gives us some sort of explicit revelation in our lives? Uh, is God doing this? Or is something else going on? When we think about what I mentioned in terms of the prayers we can find in the Psalms, Search my heart. Keep me on the path of righteousness, right? These sorts of things. What are we asking the Lord to do? Well, on one level, we're asking the Lord to convict us. Show me where I'm sinful. I, I've grown through this, and, and Lord, I, 
I guess right now I'm in a moment of self-righteousness and don't see where I need to grow next. Show me, lead me, convict me by your spirit. So that's, that's one level of the spirit working in us, convicting us. Another way that's uh, we may downplay, but it's the preaching of the gospel. It's through the preaching of the gospel that the Lord is pleased to work, revealing his will for us, challenging us in terms of where we stand in our need for Christ. And so it's that understanding, that we understand who we are. But notice then as the Apostle Paul goes on, trusting that God's not distant, he's not abstract from us, he's not leaving us in our current course, but God by his providence is reunited to Christ, continues to be at work in us. But he says, let us hold true. In other words, he understands our temptation, so he's driving this home again from verse 12. Verse 12, I I press on because Christ has made me his own. I take hold of Christ because Christ has made me his own. And he's saying, but but let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, to the progress, to the understanding, to the life we have in Christ. Let us remain true to that reality. Because as the Apostle Paul goes on in terms of his example, what does the Apostle Paul do? Well, he's willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. He's one who understands the life that he has in Christ and the peace that is his, and understanding that reality, that it is in Christ he has all that he needs. When he faces suffering, the Lord will see him through it. When he faces suffering, it's also revealing the nature of the cross and the comfort that is his. It's understanding the life that is his in his Redeemer. Calvin, on this verse, just to leave you with this, I think gives a very encouraging perspective where Calvin says that we must renounce confidence in all things, that we may glory in Christ's righteousness alone and prefer it to everything else, aspire after a participation in his sufferings, which may be the means of conducting us to a blessed resurrection. Do you hear that wording? Aspiring to Christ's sufferings something I don't think we ultimately aspire to in Western culture. But understanding that identification as our Lord moves from suffering to glory, as we suffer for the sake of Christ, we're identifying in who our Redeemer is. He has completed the suffering perfectly, but as we're joined to him, it's a sign, it's it's, it's comfort in a strange way that we're also identified with our Redeemer. But it's also the assurance that because Christ has been raised, we will also be raised with him in glory. And so in conclusion then, when we think about the law of God, we have that temptation, the objection that might arise in our mind, why why would we hear the law of God? We're not going to arrive at perfection anyway. Well, we don't want to have a defeatist attitude. And that's kind of what, what that attitude is. It's a defeatist attitude. Well, I'm not going to arrive at perfection anyway, so why even think about it? Let me just go about my business and do what I do. But we need to think about the Christian life is not just about personal growth. I think so often we can say, well, the blessings of redemption are are great, but I want to focus on my spiritual growth and and who I am. And we fail to understand that being a, a, a Christian is really being a disciple of Christ. It's wanting to live more and more in Christ's shadow, right? He gets the glory, 
We live in his shadow and we desire to live out and work out his teachings more consistently as he lays hold of us. And so when we hear the law of God, we think about it, certainly it, it convicts us, or I hope it does. It, it reminds us that, that we have uh, a ways to grow in terms of our Christian life, as 114 reminds us, small beginnings. But we have those small beginnings, not to one, but to all of the commandments. And so this is what the very gospel message is teaching us. We have been redeemed in Christ. We've been joined to Christ. We have new life in Christ. We walk in the power of the Spirit. And so as we live out of gratitude, we're merely living in a way in which we enjoy our union with our Savior more and more as we draw closer to him in our communion with him. That's what the catechism is teaching us. No, we're not going to arrive at perfection. Not in this life. And we're not going to keep the law of God perfectly in this life. But nevertheless, we will grow. We will grow in conformity, not only in terms of personal growth. We're going to grow in terms of our confidence in the life we have in Christ. In the peace, the shalom of the gospel. The life in the kingdom. And so as the Lord sanctifies us and progressively moves us through this age, let us continue to press forward. Not because we're trying to prove our worthiness in Christ, but because it is Christ who has taken hold of us. And that our hope is not in ourselves, but in our Redeemer. Let us continue then to press forward in that hope and assurance with our focus and orientation on the upward call we have in Christ. Because as we sojourn and suffer with Christ in this age, we know that we will be raised with Christ in glory. And we know that this will happen because Christ has perfectly suffered and has moved to glory, establishing our standing before the heavenly courtroom and establishing our standing before the heavenly family room in terms of who we are and our Redeemer. And so let us continue then to take hold of him, walking in him, by his power. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope that you were edified and encouraged this gospel message. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible-believing confessional church that is based in Belgrade, Montana. Please visit our webpage, urcbelgrade.com. That is urcbelgrade.com to find out more information about our church and utilize our sermon archive. Most of all, we hope to see you sojourning and fellowshipping with us each Sunday. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.